Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. I'm Megan Muller, and I have here with me today Chris Yee, Kate Gilbert, and John Muller. And we are here to talk a little bit more about manners. Last time for Constantinople, we talked about whether manners are useful or not, whether manners are helpful or not, and a lot of other great stuff. You should go listen to it before <laughs> we get started here. But we're going to change gears just a little tiny bit. We're going to talk about a more recent criticism mm -hmm. of manners, particularly manners in school. I think the way to introduce this is we all read an article in which a teacher criticized other teachers. The example I think is best to use is docking a student's grade or waking them up should they happen to fall asleep in class. He believed that if a student was impoverished at home or had a bad home environment, then Waking them up in class was a way of us being aggressive towards them because we don't understand where they're coming from or the fact that they don't have as much privilege as the teacher may and the ability to sleep at night. So we need to allow them to sleep in our class. I think there's some problems with his ideas of what best serves a student. And maybe we can start there. Yeah. Another example that the teacher used was forbidding students from using certain language, including profanity, profanity in the class yeah. environment. Mm -hmm. The justification being if that's the way a student communicates, if that's the way their community communicates, if that's the way the adults in their lives communicate, then trying to take that from them is actually somehow stripping them of something that's part of their identity and prohibiting certain language in a school can actually enforce kind of like a power structure that is denying the students some part of their rights to be who they are. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting way to think about manners because manners, even in the time of Jane Austen, and we talked about this in the last podcast, always ask you to be something that at any given time you may not be. Right. Like they ask you to be kind when you may not be feeling kind or polite to the bore across the table from you who's grossing you out. Manners require you to do something that you don't maybe feel like doing or weren't, aren't natural to you. To see this kind of played out in a classroom, it may be very natural for a student to fall asleep because they may be very tired. Why would we require them to be awake? The first thing that comes to mind, and this is skirting the issue because I <laughs> don't know how to talk about the main part of it right now is that a huge part of that problem seems to be in the sort of lack of person-to-person -person interaction that you can have in the giant class size mm -hmm. of a sort of typical like public school, right? You know, if I have 30 students in my class, I can't reliably know that one of those kids has an extenuating circumstances that would say it might be better for him to like take a nap than mm -hmm. be here. I think I can do that a little bit better you know, here where it's a smaller class size, right? If I have, you know, 10 to 15 students and I know that one of them who is normally a bright and great student is currently nursing a really bad migraine and they're like falling asleep because right. of it, I can say, go take a nap on the nurse's cot. Like you mm -hmm. don't need to be here and it's okay. That's harder to do when you have a bigger class size. So I think part of the problem would be in an environment where you're sort of not allowed to effectively get to know your students, it is really hard to not sort of assign an overarching ruling that is not actually good in every particular circumstance and then not being able to kind of adjust it based on particular circumstances for students. Yeah. Well, I assume that I'm not the only one who would disagree with the approach taken by the writer of this article. But I, I think first I'd like to say that what is praiseworthy about his stance 
is that he does seem to be trying to truly see his students where they are yeah. and not make unreasonable or unjust demands of them. Now, I think that there's a problem with his solution. Saying that someone has X kind of adversity in their lives does not mean that they are therefore right to do whatever, mm-hmm. right? I think we should evaluate like how you best engage with a student at that level when you do recognize that they might have difficulties or evaluate whether they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing as a student in the Mm -hmm. classroom at that point. Because I think both can happen. Both can happen with adults. Both can certainly happen with children. There's a danger that every educator can get into when we try to set the expectations for our students lower based on what we perceive their circumstances to be. It often can feel as if we're being compassionate. David Foster Wallace talked about this, where he would get written up and complained about by students because he insisted on proper grammar and kind of standard American English in the essays that they wrote for him in his class. What he very much wanted his students to understand was that it was his job to teach them the language of power so that they could do whatever they wanted. He didn't care if they used that language of power to go and argue for why no one should ever have to learn standard American English again. That would be fine. (laughs) But in order to actually convincingly communicate that, they need to know proper English and the language that people who are in charge get to employ. And I think something very similar can happen. I've written about this before, but I once had a conversation with a chancellor of a local community college who believed that underprivileged students shouldn't have to learn algebra because we don't expect them to have jobs in which they would ever use algebra. And to me, this felt like an enormous infringement on their rights to education, that he would decide for them what they were capable of and then determine what kind of job they would likely have. He thought he was being compassionate. But actually requiring of them the same standards of anyone else that we expect to be our leaders means that we expect them to be our leaders too. And that seems much more respectful of the student's personhood than any presumed disability they have because of their background. It's interesting, this idea that a liberal education, uh, like a freeing education, is what I mean by liberal, something that liberates you, knowledge as the path to being a more free person. For some people, that's a harder road to hoe mm-hmm. than for others. For some people, it's going to be very easy to follow that path. And sometimes it does have to do with the way that you're raised or the community that you're raised in. For some people, school is easy. For some people, they're never going to get in trouble for cursing in a teacher. But that doesn't mean that for the student who may come from a, you know, a rougher family where profanity is used regularly, when they express their frustration in class, this was the example in the article, If a student expresses frustration in class, but uses an expletive to describe it, perhaps like the excrement of a bovine. Um, (laughs) How dare you? As in this is that in response to something a teacher is asking them Mm -hmm. to do. That you deal with the student's frustration, but you ignore the expletive because that student can't help but be profane. Hmm. And they live a life in a world where profanity is normal. And so it's actually offensive for us to try to eradicate that tendency from Mm -hmm. them. That is the opposite of a liberal education because though it may seem like you're allowing the student to be free to express themselves however they want, what you're actually doing is sort of imprisoning them to a one simplistic way of expressing themselves that wouldn't allow them opportunities Mm -hmm. to express themselves in other venues. Because if you can't express yourself without profanity, it does limit your opportunities in life. And that's just true. I don't know, it can be hard for our students to understand sometimes that by trying to truly make them free, we have to enforce rules. 
because we need to help them learn to self-govern so that they can be free really to choose amongst a number of things rather than being forced down one path because it's the only thing that they know how to do functionally Mm -hmm. or how to be functionally. I wonder if part of that problem isn't then our general inability to distinguish between rulemaking and being reprimanded for breaking of rules in school and sort of morality and like whether you've Mm. done something wrong. I think this is a thing that I struggled with, actually, when I first became a teacher. People have different views on sort of profane language and whether or not it's immoral. Supposing, for the sake of argument, that (laughs) I were the sort of person that didn't find most profane language to be in itself inherently immoral, it felt very hypocritical to, like, get students in trouble Mm -hmm. to, like, say, hey, you're not supposed to do that here. Stop. You know, whatever. It's X, Y, Z. And so I think it's important and not often done to draw the distinction and explanation of why that rule is there and why it's enforced, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you want to be able to speak truth to power, if you want to be able to engage in dialogue in the public sphere, the sense of decorum that comes with sort of using appropriate language for your situation is going to be important. And we can leave aside sort of the conversation on whether or not these words in particular are immoral or not. I was thinking something somewhat similar. You know, I noticed what you said about a student with a migraine. You tell them, go sleep on the cot. You do need a nap, but go do it in an appropriate place. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something different than, oh, I guess this guy just sleeps in class now. (laughs) You know, like I had a student who took a nap in my office on Monday, like this, you know, because (laughs) she needed to. I think I would feel very differently about a student who was expressing frustration or excitement to me directly and used some profanity because that's what they were naturally inclined to do versus someone who used it in class. Like, I feel like I could separate out, Mm -hmm. oh, this student isn't meaning to be profane. I might still correct him, but he hasn't offended me versus it's very important in a group setting or if you're giving a presentation that you know that you can do it without profanity and that you're capable and you will do it without profanity. If manners are the sort of thing that we were talking about last time, the kind of thing that can express consideration for others Mm -hmm. rather than Mm -hmm. for yourself, guard the goodness of a social interaction that can lead to flourishing where there might not have been. I think teachers are supposed to model that Mm -hmm. uh, the same way we should model expertise in the given subject that we're teaching, right? So if a student gives an incorrect answer to a math problem or incorrectly formulates an English sentence, I'm not going to tell them, yeah, you do it that way, Um, (laughs) simply because I know that it might have been hard for them them to learn this concept. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to have to, in whatever way is appropriate, in whatever way is gentle, but instructive and helpful, demonstrate the correct way to do that thing. Teachers do this a lot. I think good teachers do this a lot, where I could have a student in my class who gets a C on an assignment and I could be thrilled. Mm-hmm. Because the standard's the same. They still did something that deserved a C, something in the 70%. That's still the grade they got. But man, it was 10 times better than the last assignment they gave me. And I can still be really happy for them while holding them to a standard that's still real and still mm-hmm. true. So I can be not mad at a student who wants to fall asleep in class, but still say, we're going to learn how not to fall asleep in class. And I think there's a way for a classroom to be a safe, compassionate space but one where there are expectations for behavior and attentiveness and respect for peers coming from empathy, the way we speak in the classroom as a teacher. I, though I don't consider myself some sort of Jekyll and Hyde person, (laughs) like I am one way in the classroom and I am another way at home. And it's Mm -hmm. not because I'm a hypocrite, it's because 
as a teacher, what I'm supposed to be modeling is that when we step into the classroom, all of our attention is on each other. We're all moving together toward knowledge. And, you know, we have respect for each other and the way that we talk, but we're also actually looking for what's right and we're not accepting anything else. I think there's a way that we can use manners to make sure that we don't lose any of that while we're still trying to create a space for our students. And I think part of that is asking a student to leave the classroom if they mm -hmm. haven't read the book or asking a student to leave and sleep somewhere else, but not in the room full of people who are trying to learn because it negatively impacts the learning environment mm -hmm. for other people, things like that. I think in response to the article that we're sort of addressing, I think it's important to potentially give a sort of concession that there are some items that he discusses in there that are indeed value neutral. And it is mm -hmm. at least slightly unfortunate that they are often sort of looked down on as lesser in society if they're in fact value neutral. So things like potentially depending on your ideas on this, like language or like manner of dress, mm -hmm. right? And things like that, where ultimately, do I really care what a student is dressed like in my classroom? Not particularly, but is it important to learn that in a given culture, there will be a particular sort of uniform that a professional person just has to be able to adhere to in order to be taken seriously? Is that fair? Is that good? I don't know. Maybe not. But mm -hmm. that is the way it is. And every culture is just like that. Mm -hmm. Every culture has the things that people do and don't do. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's unfortunate if you exist in this country as a minority, as a member of minority culture, because the thing that your culture would say you should do, you don't get to do in that kind of professional environment. And that that is a bummer. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think pointing out that that's a sort of value neutral um, but unfortunate thing that could be happening while still upholding, okay, learning to communicate well and to think well and to be thoughtful and to be, you know, courteous of other people's time, X, Y, Z. These are all like not value neutral things. Mm -hmm, like these are mm -hmm. things that actually matter for you to be a good human person. And so we want you to do them. Once you start allowing for those things to go by the wayside due to outside circumstances, you're doing a student a disservice yeah. by not teaching them to be the way that they should be. Hmm. And so pointing out that there's a difference between those two different categories and kind of trying to navigate them gently and thoughtfully as an educator seems to be a very important uh, task for someone that is in the role of educating and this is sort of uh, in the sort of melting pot that America is. All right, guys. Well, we're going to we're going to end it there. I think that was a, a pretty short and snappy response <laughs> to a, a big, serious problem. And I think there are some big, serious cultural repercussions today for these issues. But I'm proud of us for keeping it short and, <laughs> and keeping it good. Way to go. This has been Constantinople. Thanks for listening.